Riley Murtha, and I'm your host. This is Life and Shit, your weekly safe haven away from all of the artificial bullshit going on out there, where we discuss what it means to live well, what it means to truly feel good, and how we can achieve those things. So thank you so much for being here, and let's get to this week's episode. That is what I'm trying to figure out. Um, but the short answer is, uh, my name is Anne-Marie Duchet. Where are you from, Anne-Marie? Uh, I'm fr- I lived in London for the last 20 years or so, um, apart from two years in New York. And at the moment, I'm just kind of bombing around Central America, which is where I met you. Yeah, such a cool, such a cool story. This is actually the first time I've ever done an interview like in person, which is cool. Usually we're like figuring shit over, out over Zoom, social distance, but <laughs> we are live in the studio. And by studio, I mean my hotel room. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> You're the only person who's been here. Um, but yeah, cool story. I mean, we actually both have been living very similar lifestyles the past four or five months. We met in Tamarindo in Costa Rica. When? Uh, End of November. November. Yeah, end of November. Yeah, Yeah. and so we were both here in Tamarindo, and then we both went elsewhere. We actually crossed paths in Tulum, and now we're both back in Tamarindo (laughs) where all the magic started. And today we wanted to connect to talk about... What are we going to talk about? Life and shit, right? Life and shit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And we thought that we would talk about um, like our spiritual journeys and our healing and the different things that we have done and experienced as a part of that, because that's essentially how we met. Mm -hmm. We were (laughs) 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 co-invited. We had both met the same guy in town and he invited us both to a sweat lodge ceremony. So it ended up being a little trifecta experience and... Um, Entirely platonic, I would like to emphasize. <laughs> yes, platonic. Um, Which I'm not sure was his intention, but it's kind of like, <laughs> it ended up with you and I kind of maybe falling for one another. <laughs> yeah, we hit it off and it was a magical day. That was a really, that was a cool experience, which we can talk about that. But yeah. uh, since then, we've both been doing a variety of other healing experiences and modalities and Anne-Marie has a lot of experience with healing in general and personal development and plant medicines and all that good shit so we thought why not sit down and talk about it and share with you guys yeah so where should we begin how long have you been on this journey when did you start trying to go inward work on yourself so I guess for me it was about um so I'm 44 now when I was about So when I was 30, um, the relationship I was in ended and I realised that I really hadn't been doing the things that made me happy. And also, and this is terrible, but I'll say it, the guy I was with wasn't that smart. And I realised that I'd been deliberately making myself dumber to like reduce the difference between us. I was like, I need to focus more on like what I like and also being a bit smarter than I have been. And so I started at that point really trying to focus in on the stuff that made me happy and spending my time doing that. I started travelling a lot. And I also kind of developed what I've since started to call the relentless search for meaning where I think there's so much out there that we don't understand and like we live in our 
heads and in our bodies all the time but I feel like a lot of the time we don't even really understand what's going on in there and it makes sense to turn inward to an extent you can take it too far um, but it was really this kind of sense of well you have to be around you all the time so you might as well figure yourself out and hopefully that helps you figure everything else out mic drop (laughs) don't drop that mic because it's all I have but I think okay so it's been three minutes and I think you guys probably understand why we hit it off that day why we've become friends yeah so and I So from then on, I started traveling a lot by myself. um, And the more I did it, the less scary it got. And then I think, again, the more you travel, the more people you meet and the more stuff starts coming your way. And I do think with all of this healing and all of the plant medicine, I don't think it's for everyone. I'm not someone who'd advocate for everyone doing it. I think um, it comes to people at the right time and that you always whether you enjoy it or not I think you always get the experience that you're meant to have at that time and things just kind of kept crossing my path and so I'd been on a, a sort of a general I don't know I don't want to call it a life quest but that's what's coming to my head at the moment of just you know trying to just do things that I enjoy and really zeroing in on not spending my time on meaningless shit I mean, it's some meaningless shit that I do enjoy. So it's not like I'm this, like, you know, <laughs> I've got this higher purpose of an entirely Zen lifestyle. Um, I enjoy a bag of cheese puffs as much as the next person. I know you <laughs> but so the first time I sort of I got involved with plant medicine, um, which I guess was the start of of everything. Um, I so I was living in New York. Um, it was 2016. And I, my company had asked me to go to New York. I kind of told me I had to move to New York, actually. And I wasn't that excited to do it. <laughs> you weren't excited? <laughs> no, like, and I feel, I do feel kind of bad about this because it's a bit like, oh, no, my, my diamond shoes are too tight. Like, I have to go and live in one of the major cities of the world. <laughs> but I had, I had to count it for the visa people. I'd been to New York 22 times before I moved there. Mm. And, like, one of my oldest friends moved there back in 2003. And I'd gone there so many times. But it was always somewhere that I thought, this is a great place to visit and not somewhere I want to live. And some people love living there and all power to them. But I always thought, "Mm, this isn't, it just, I found it tough living there. And the situation in a lot of ways couldn't have been better. I had a lot of friends. My apartment was great. My job was a little stressful, um, partly because, so my, my company told me I had to move there. And then six months after I was out there, the department that they'd sent me out there to run part of, they closed down. And so there was a bit of tension of like, Oh my god because they couldn't send me straight home for boring reasons and about a year in um i was just like pretty unhappy and i get eczema on my face and my eczema was flaring up and i now understand actually a lot of that was to do with the lack of humidity in new york but part of me was like my stress is coming through in my face this is terrible and around about that time a friend of mine um had mentioned ayahuasca to me a friend of hers uh, had done it um at joshua tree Mm. And she'd said that it had this amazing impact on him. And we just talked about it kind of in passing. I was like, oh, that sounds weird. And I wonder how you spell it kind of thing. And then a couple of weeks later, I saw something else about it and something else about it. And there's a, there's a name, for, I think they call it Bader-Meinhof syndrome. It's like when you see something for the first time and then suddenly it feels like you see it everywhere. Yeah. I think it's called Bader-Meinhof syndrome. And yeah, so that started happening to me. And I just started to think, oh, well maybe I'll go do this. And I decided, I did a lot of research because that's just how I'm wired and decided I was going to go to Peru. And Peru is relatively straightforward from New York. Like I think if I'd still been in London, there's no way I'm getting on a flight to Mm. Peru to go and take ayahuasca. But it felt like the right place to be. And yeah, I did so much research and found this one shaman in a place called Iquitos 
that I thought just I don't know even even online I was like I feel like this guy gets me which is weird I had this real sense of I need to go to this place and again I, I do think people feel called to go to places at specific times and so I went on a 10-day retreat. Um, I went on my own, but there were 10 of us in total there. And we took ayahuasca four times in 10 days between. So we took it the day we arrived, oh, which was like, okay. Um, yeah. And so, and I mean, I, the first two days I slept 16 hours a day. I think at first they all thought I was super antisocial, but I just, I'd had, I hadn't had any time off really since I'd moved and so I was just I was so tired and it's this I mean as you know right all of this stuff it's so when you're looking inward a lot it's exhausting which is crazy because you're lying on a mat for a couple of hours but you come out you're like oh my god I just need yeah. to sleep so yeah I slept a bunch um and then it was funny so yeah I took it four times in total and what was your intention like what were you searching for when you first decided to do your first plant medicine ceremony so I had two things one so I'd already done and it's it's different, but to me, they're very much connected. I'd already done um, a fast uh, mm. two, three years previously. And it involved kind of, yeah, so you fasted for seven days and you had colonics every day. And I went in thinking, I just want to see what's going to come out. And I felt exactly the same with ayahuasca. I felt like it was going to be a colonic for my brain and it would just flush out anything that I didn't know, that I, I, that I wasn't really conscious of. Yeah. And I also had a sense, a specific sense of, I'm unhappy at the moment, and I think I'm unhappy because of my environment. I think it's because I'm in, I don't like where I'm living and my job is stressful. I just want to check there isn't anything else under the surface. So yeah, I, I kind of thought of it as a colonic for the brain, but with a, a specific thing of, why am I sad? Um, so, and I said all of this actually to, so the place I went to, as I say, was Salva Madre, and the, the shaman was a guy called Don Lucho. And I said this to him. And yeah, again, he was just this very avuncular chap who's like very warm, very soothing, was like, we can help you with this. Like, it's, this is a safe place. Um, the funny thing, the first time I took it, <laughs> and this is like a sign of my giant ego, um, the first time I took it, I managed to persuade myself that it hadn't actually worked because I'd taken mushrooms years before, like when I was about 16, uh, and it hallucinated, but eyes open. So the world was different with my eyes open. And I understand now that actually not everyone experiences mushrooms that way, but that was my only experience of, of psychedelics and of hallucination. And when I took ayahuasca the first time, I saw this crazy stuff in my head, but when I opened my eyes, everything looked exactly the same. So what I managed to persuade myself was that I'm just a very deep thinking individual, and if you like put me in a dark room with my thoughts, then I'll have all these crazy insights and see all this amazing stuff. So, but, and, but it, was, it, was very, it was very positive, and it was very much... It's funny because I do think with ayahuasca, it's likely that my experience will be completely different from someone else's and everyone can have their own great experience, but they'll be entirely different. I feel like I got exactly what I wanted and it felt for me a lot like kind of going through the filing cabinet of my brain and just sort of triaging through stuff and being like, oh, this is bothering me. This is bothering me. Oh, I hadn't realized that. And then having this in a voice in my second third and fourth ceremonies i met my spirit guide i'll talk about no doubt but my first session i didn't have any concept of speaking to a person or a guy but i just had a voice in my head that was so kind and where there were things that would come up and it would just say to me right so you know what what's bothering you about this or why do you feel sad about this what do you regret and i would tell it and then it would say what would you do differently 
And in some instances, I would say to it, I wouldn't do anything differently. Like, I know I couldn't do anything differently. Mm-hmm. And it would be like, right, well, so... And I'm getting kind of emotional just thinking about it. It would say kind of just let it go, then it's okay. You know, it just doesn't need to bother you anymore. And if I would say, well, I would do this, it would say, right, well, now you know what you need to do if this ever happens again. And it was just it was this very freeing experience. But, as I say, as it was happening, I thought that this was just a coincidence of, like, me being in a dark room with some guys chanting in a corner. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know whether, whether you had, whether you've had a similar thing or not of, like, because it was really stark for me that I, I genuinely always wonder working. if it's a placebo. I'm like, no, I'm just having this experience because I'm feeling like I should. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. just creating the container and, like, it has nothing to do with any of this and I'm just creating this on my own same thing that you're saying like feeling like I would have done I would have come up with this at some point on my own anyways but yeah I can definitely relate to that but I don't know that that's what's actually happening and this is it right because I think as well especially with the plant medicines in particular a lot of it there's an underlying spirituality from you know the people that have practiced it or the indigenous cultures that it's coming from and I think it's it's part of the of what you need to think about, I think, whenever you're considering plant medicine is I don't think you can just tip up and decide, oh, well, I'm going to have a crazy time with this stuff that I don't really understand. I think you have to respect the belief system, even if you don't identify with it. I don't know for sure whether when I take ayahuasca, whether spirits are literally entering the temple and facilitating my process and my ceremony and I have no idea what I know is that it has worked for me and I know that the people the shaman who work with the medicine that is absolutely their belief system Mm. and again it comes back to there's all kinds of stuff in the world that we don't have any real understanding of but I, I do think I think one of the things that's happening as well with plant medicine at the moment is I think it's great that more and more people are experiencing it. But, I mean, particularly here in Costa Rica, there's places that are, you know, $6,000 for a week. And you think, well, who are these people spending 6000 bucks to, like, go and throw up in a bucket with a crumb of strangers? You know, like, it's, and again, like, people can pay what they want. And if that money is making its way back, then, I mean, I guess I don't have an issue with it. But it is slightly strange to see it becoming commercialised to the extent right. that it has. Yeah. And I know there's... Um, and I took Bufo while I was here, and again, we may talk about that in more detail, but I know when I took that, <laughs> we're laughing because I did not have a fun time, um, but when I took that, there was one of the ladies at the retreat that I went to, so I just went for the day for the ceremony, there was a lady who was there for the week, and someone had said to her, was she taking Bufo, and she said no, that she thought that a lot of medicines you shouldn't take communally, and I have a healer actually who's talked about this as well, where again, a lot of the time now plant medicine has become a communal experience Mm -hmm. and in some of the cultures absolutely a communal experience is encouraged but then the community has one intention that they're all following and I think it is something we need to think about as well as much as you know I've been a group participant in everything that I've done but one of the things I am starting to think a bit more about and becoming more conscious of is that really the recommendation is if you want to do the inner work, that that should really be one-on-one with you and a shaman or a practitioner. And if you're taking it in a group, then it should be a community spirit and a community intention. And that's something I haven't done, but it's definitely something I'd like to explore a little further. That makes sense, though, because obviously people's energies are going to affect the collective experience. And you're, I mean, like you said, I feel like you're still going to get what you were meant to get out of that experience, but it would be very different to have like a individual journey. Yeah. 
So physically, ayahuasca, tell us mm-hmm. about that. I mean, you're telling us very much about like your your takeaways and kind of like the, you know, internal journey, but physically yeah. how, if people aren't familiar, what does it look like? Yes, well, so, so it looks like a, a brown revolting fluid. It's quite thick. So ayahuasca is a combination of um, ayahuasca root and DMT. So DMT is a very powerful hallucinogen. Um, and if you take it on its own, it lasts about three minutes. I believe I've never taken it on its own. It lasts about three minutes. There's no spiritual element, and you'll see I gather a bunch of insane shit. Um, DMT. DMT. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you go to an ayahuasca ceremony, what you're drinking is a combination of DMT and ayahuasca root, and the ayahuasca root um, helps to smooth out the experience. So typically, it will last between four and eight hours. Um, and yeah, so it's, it is a thick brown liquid. Again, the, the texture of it and the consistency of it will vary from shaman to shaman. They each brew their own medicine. Um, so what you see at one place won't necessarily be the same as another. It tastes disgusting and nothing I have ever read or watched about it prepared me for how disgusting it is. So word of the wise, it is disgusting. And I, I know a lot of words and I can't really do justice to it. It's, it's, kind, it's, it's really bitter, although, so I haven't taken San Pedro. I gather San Pedro is more disgusting in the hierarchy of, of plant medicine. Right, I think you told me that. Um, yeah, so San Pedro is it's cactus-based. Again, I haven't taken it, but um, the guy, it's always the guys at ceremony, at plant ceremonies who want to be heroes. and like, oh, well, I've taken something else that's even more extreme. But yeah, yeah these guys are like, oh yeah, San Pedro is more disgusting. But yeah, it's, ayahuasca is very bitter tasting. It also it tastes kind of like mulch like it has this real like earthy mm-hmm. wah. and also kind of like if you had burnt coffee grounds kind of mixed in like it's it's vile uh and you drink so it will depend on the potency of the medicine so i have variously drunk like an egg cupful uh, i have seen people drink pints of it um and typically if you drink more and more it's because it's not having the effects yeah. uh i do think a sidebar to that the people that I have witnessed where it hasn't had an effect, there's a, again, around the, the spiritual element of ayahuasca, there is a belief that Mother Aya is actually that the guardian of ayahuasca and is the protected spirit of it. And when you're taking ayahuasca, you're under the aegis of, of Mother Aya when you're taking it. Um, I personally, from what I've experienced, I think Mother Aya, uh, Mother Aya does have like a watchful eye out on those who don't come in pure of heart pure of mind pure of intention yeah um the and I I don't think people habitually turn up with bad intentions but I think the people who aren't there for the right reasons and by which I mean so in my specific experience there are a couple of people um that I have met one of whom was there because their partner wanted to take it Mm -hmm. and who really there's a bunch of rules in the run-up to ayahuasca and people can google this I think because I I won't give a comprehensive view and again anyone who wants to take the stuff should do their own research but there's things around you shouldn't drink alcohol you should refrain from sexual activity for kind of two weeks beforehand you shouldn't eat pork but also when you're in ceremony um you should be, you know, appropriately dressed, etc., etc., etc. So at the retreat I was at, there was someone who was not adhering to those rules and didn't really care. Was like finding spots for white for data when we weren't supposed to be using our phones, all that stuff. Mm. She had no effects um, any time that she took it. Um, and there was another guy at the same place who had basically let us all know he was a stand-up comedian on the side and had let us know that he was essentially there 
to get a lot of stories about people throwing up and potentially shitting their pants, which both of which can be side That's effects of ayahuasca. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and I'll talk about that actually in a second. Um, but yeah, and that guy, he was drinking actual pints worth, and I, I cannot emphasize enough how disgusting ayahuasca tastes, and he had no effects whatsoever. I don't believe that's a coincidence. So again, you know, uh, this isn't to scare people in or out of taking it. No. I don't have an opinion on whether you should take it, but I, it is st- fairly stark to me that people who I think haven't gone with the appropriate respect for what they're doing have not necessarily had the experience that they wanted to have. But yeah, just to touch on, so the the puking and the shitting. So, <laughs> uh, so when you when you drink ayahuasca. Um, you're certainly encouraged to keep it down when you first drink it, but it's an important part of the process is to purge. And if you feel like being sick, then you absolutely should be sick. And it, in my first ceremony, actually, I um, I didn't want to be sick. And you're given this little bucket and you're surrounded by, in my case, you know, nine strangers. I'm like, I don't yeah. want to be throwing up in front of these people. Um, and I got about an hour, maybe two hours into my ceremony. And I felt really nauseous, but thought, I don't want to be sick. I just know I'm going to keep this in. I'm going to keep this in. In my mind, all of a sudden, I was going down these corridors and I ended up in this like pristine bathroom with all these stalls and a toilet in each stall. When I opened one of the stall doors, in neon lights, it said, be sick, be sick, be sick. Bear in mind, this first ceremony, I managed to persuade myself that I was having no effect, but I still saw this in my brain. (laughs) And yeah, so, and then I just, I like sat up and just like vomited into this bucket. I was like, oh my God, I feel so much better now. And yeah, the... The, the being sick part of it, and again, anyone, if you do take ayahuasca, any good retreat or shaman should tell you this, the point of it is if you feel like you want to purge, it's because you're getting rid of that stuff, it no longer yeah. serves you, and it's like a physical expression of, I release this from me. Um, and yeah, it what it can cause is what they call rectal urgency, but I will call shit in your pants. Um, <laughs> so there is, there is a risk um, that you can shit your pants. Uh, I have never seen it. I've never come close to it, but again, just to advertise, this can be one of the one of the side effects. What I find hilarious about that as well is one of the things that a lot of places will encourage is that in order to attract the good spirits, you wear white. So it's like, let's get a bunch of people in here to right. wear white where there's a decent chance they might shit themselves. And I don't know, again, whether that's just ayahuasca having a sense of humour. Yeah, um, But yeah, so the, the physical component of it, it can be quite tough on the body. Um, my latest ceremony, so I took it four times in Peru and then didn't take it for several years, so six years. And I took it again recently in Tulum. This most recent time, I was not sick. Um, but it also it wasn't really that kind of an experience for me this time uh, so the those first four times it was very much about a personal reckoning I suppose um, and it you know with ayahuasca you are going to delve into your subconscious and I think what I would say again I don't advocate for people taking it or not but if the reason that you're not taking it is because you're afraid of what you might find again you're carrying that shit around with you all the time whether you examine it or oh, not. Shit, she's looking at me right <laughs> in the face. <laughs> because you're so pretty. No, um, you are. <laughs> but no, no I, I think that. it's the the hardest part is is trusting in the first place and surrendering. In my experience, in the experience of the people that I've spoken to, from that point on, everything is easy. Like once you do let go you are you will be kind of cradled through that process and for me it was it was very positive Um, but it it is it's you know it's because you don't know you don't know what's going to come up and it's funny the very first thing I ever saw in my first ceremony I saw this like montage of images of my mum 
and kind of experiences that I'd had with her, but also photos that I remembered of her. And just this voice, again, I'm probably going to cry, this voice just being like, remember, you love your mum. And I was like, I do love my mum. And like, you know, we've had our difficulties. I think mother-daughter relationships are difficult. But if you'd said to me, like, what's in your top 20 things that are bothering you? I wouldn't have been like, oh, my relationship with my mum is problematic. But it was the first thing that came up. Mm. And, but again, like, it was in a, it was in this really warm, supportive, just guided way. And again, that was my experience. I, I have a friend who's taken it many times and she says when she takes it, she gets all of this stuff all together and it's there's no real definition it's just this like wild ride but she, and again she really enjoys that and enjoys the fact that she doesn't really need to make sense of it and I think that speaks to the fact that we're very different yeah. personalities and we're looking for different things which is why I don't want to say right this was my experience and this will then be anyone course, who takes yeah, it I think not. you will to an extent you'll get what your intention is and I, the, the one of the other things I think with all plant medicine is you're encouraged to have an intention going in but also, again, you will likely get the experience that you need, yeah. even if you haven't recognised it. And you do have to find a balance between having an intention that shows that you're taking this seriously and you're showing up, but then not being disappointed if it doesn't play out exactly that way. And certainly my last experience was much less organised, but I also think was probably the logical conclusion of the journey that I've been on. So as I mentioned, my second, third and fourth ceremonies I met a woman in my brain called Sheeta Thakti, who was my spirit guide, who is my spirit guide. Um, what is her name? Sheeta Thakti. I've Googled it since. It's not a, she's not a real not thing a real... or a person. No. Um, and I just, because I saw... It's a very precise name. Because I, well, I saw it written down. So when I first saw her in my second ceremony, this giant screen, like this 70-inch television was hovering next to me. And um, she appeared to me the first time as the woman who played Kalinda in The Good Wife for no reason I can think of. And in subtitles underneath, it said, my name is Sheeta Thakti, do you want to talk? And there was like a yes and a no, and it was a touchscreen TV. So I know exactly how it's written and all yeah. the rest of it. And in my second ceremony, so I had a wobble in my second ceremony because, I, because I'd convinced myself the first time that it hadn't worked. Then when I realized kind of 24 hours later that you know, this definitely had worked, and I'd had an experience, I started to get again scared even though it had been entirely positive I was like oh my god this shit actually works and who knows where it's going to take me next and I resisted in my second ceremony um and resistance is a bad idea if you're taking plant medicine take it from me and I, I mean in in yeah. real life I struggle with surrender and it's one of the things I'm trying to do better at at the moment and as you know like, the more I'm surrendering the better stuff is showing up in my life but it's still very very difficult and yeah so I was I resisted my second ceremony and had a pretty horrid time Again, like it wasn't nothing traumatic happened, but it was just so frustrating. And I was like, yes, I do want to talk to Sheeta Thakti because I was pretty sure if I did, everything was going to be okay. And I just couldn't connect with her. And then in my third ceremony, I went in there. Again, I had another word with myself between my second and third and was like, you've come here to do this. You need to commit to this or just get out, you know? And so I turned up for my third. And then again, in my head, I was running around these corridors just being like, Sheeta Thakti, where the fuck are you? And she showed up. And again, it was still the TV screen. And I think, again, this is, it's, it, it then becomes like a literal um, experience of me giving up to my subconscious where she said, you can see me. Um, it's all subtitled on the screen. You can see me, but you've got to get in the boat. And suddenly there's this boat to my right. And I'm like, okay. And she said, yeah, you've got to stay in the boat. 
So you can get out of the boat anytime, but if you want to see me, you've got to get in the boat, you've got to stay in the boat. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay in the boat. And she's like, oh, you can get out anytime. I'm like, okay. I get in the boat, and then suddenly it turns into like almost like a fairground ride where it's like this vertical rise up, and I can barely stay in the boat. And the TV screen is keeping space with me the whole time as I go up. She's like, you can get out anytime. I'm staying in the fucking boat. I'm staying in the boat. I'm staying in the boat. And then the top of the ride turns into like an actual hellmouth. Like it's glowing red. There's skulls coming out. Like this is not a space that anyone would want to go. And she's like, you can get out anytime. I was like, I'm staying in the boat. I'm staying in the boat. And so I went through this hellmouth. And again, it, it was, it was just this symbol, symbol of me just surrendering and being like, right, no matter what's on the other side, I'm mm-hmm. committed to sticking to it. And I came through and was in, again, like one of your classic psychedelic things of just this vortex of colors and shapes. And I'm like spinning around, but it, it was, it felt like this wild fun ride. And then I came out the other end and I was in this dark cavern and Sheeta Thakti from this point on appeared to me as a cavern full of purple flamingos for no reason that I can think of. Um, and I was like, what's the, so what's the deal with the flamingos? And she said, oh, um, this is how I'm showing myself to you. She said, I could show you my true form, but you really wouldn't like it. And I was like, bring it, you know, and she, I'm terrified of spiders. And she was this weird giant hybrid squid spider monster and I, was, I saw it for like a split second I was like yep I'm happy to deal with the flamingos from this point in thanks very much so and she I mean she was amazing and she kind of guided me in very specific ways for my next two ceremonies my last ceremony though I really wanted to see her one of the big reasons I wanted to go was to just hang out with Sheeta Thakti for a bit and just get some just some guidance and like am I on the right track and and all the rest of it and what ended up happening is so I saw her <laughs> again, and she said, "She said I'm here, but I'm you and you're me. Like you don't need me. You don't need the ayahuasca because you went in. You're there yeah. all the time. And in a way, like it's a gift to be like, actually, maybe she's not a real thing. Like all, all, all she is. In fact, all she is is my supreme inner wisdom, and yeah. that actually I have all the answers all of the time. Yeah, I think- and in a way." that's a massive gift yeah but at the same time like no but I kind of like having someone to tell me what to do like rather than just like I don't I don't want to be responsible for all of this like I know nothing right and so that was again I think it was probably part of the evolution of my journey with spirituality has been this sort of I've had her as like this talisman of she just actually knows what to do and her being like mate I was you the entire time <laughs> you, <laughs> don't, so good. you don't need this so yeah and look I'll I will see like how that lands and, and how it sits so that ceremony was only what a month ago just under yeah. um but yeah that was one of the big takeaways was just this sort of it was funny as well because I have like micro problems that at any point I'm trying to figure out like you know life and job and men and whatever else and it kept showing me like all of this bigger stuff and I'd be like don't really care about the fact that we're all just molecules and that none of this matters can you just help me figure out where my next apartment should be or whatever yeah, else yeah. and I think again you know you've got a it is all that balance of you can't go in there expecting it to tell you the answers all the time and actually look the biggest answer of all is none of this actually matters really yeah. you know and but I think that's a hard thing for us all to swallow because it's difficult I think not to that get not to then get to the point of well, what's the point of me doing anything? Yeah. And it's just completely it, retreat from life. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating. I love that lesson. <laughs> I feel like it's perfect because it's like giving you the false confidence, thinking that you're trusting someone else when you're trusting yourself until you're ready to know that that's within you. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's really interesting hearing you talk even before you said what you said about like the fear going into it. It's like the idea of it used to be really scary to me and it's starting to be less scary because I think I'm just less scared of my subconscious because I've already unpacked a lot. And of course, I'm sure there's always infinite layers to that, but it doesn't have the same... I used to just not trust my mind, I guess. Like, and that's why I never did any drugs in high school or like when everyone else was tripping on mushrooms. Like, I was like, <laughs> no, like I know the dark side of my mind and like I don't want to go there. And I yeah. guess partly because like I have struggled with negative thinking my whole life. Like when I was like eight years old or something, I had I was diagnosed with OCD because I had like really, really invasive obviously compulsive, obsessive, like negative thoughts. And it was really fucking with me. And like, like I felt like so like it was such a struggle and I didn't obviously see it as a blessing at that age but now I'm like that was fucking great because (laughs) I was given tools to like learn how to become the observer of my thoughts at like eight years old so I've been practicing that for a long time but for that reason too I was so terrified of anything mind-altering because I knew the power of like that darkness but I think all the work that I've done has started to you know turn that darkness into light so I think it's like a lot less scary and it is something that I know is in my future I'm just not sure when the perfect opportunity is going to be but I'm looking forward to meeting my <laughs> shock what's her name she defected again disclaimer you may not all meet your own she yeah. defected well whatever the experience holds <laughs> but again I, I think it, you know yeah as I said it all it will just come at a point you'll be like oh this is where I'm supposed to do it and it's it's going to fall into place. Yeah, exactly. I trust that. And I've had multiple opportunities, obviously, especially over this journey of the last like five months. Like I could have been doing them every day, yeah. everywhere I go if I wanted to. <laughs> but I just have been so focused on doing... I, I wanted to kind of like go as deep as I could without any real mind altering stuff like I've been microdosing mushrooms but I wanted to like kind of explore myself as deeply as I could until I felt ready to graduate to the next thing which I feel like I'm kind of there which is exciting but yeah I will say as well with with the ayahuasca kind of on that point around the work on your subconscious um as well so I wasn't in therapy when I took ayahuasca uh I am now and I wish I had been in therapy when I first started taking it because I think it flushes out a lot of stuff and I picked and chose what I then acted on or there were things that I ignored that I was like, ah, you know, rather than applying equal validity to everything. And I think if I'd been in therapy, I think I would have been entirely honest about what had happened. Yeah. And I think then I would have had someone else being like, but why are you doing this and not this? Because some of that definitely came back to bite me on the ass later on. Holding your feet to the flame or whatever that yeah. figure of speech is. Like, and I actually have that conversation a lot with coaching clients and potential clients. It's like, what's the value in this? Well, the value in this is exactly that, is we're going to, like, I'm going to talk about everything. I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you hard questions about everything. People think that they can do mindset work on their own, and to some degree you can, but we're being selective whether we realize it or not, yeah, right? Course. Like in our yeah. conscious and subconscious. So I think that's a really interesting point. Yeah. So in between those ayahuasca experiences, mm-hmm. you then, <laughs> yes, my favorite part. No, it's not my favorite. Um, but so what led you to Bufo? What were you looking for in that experience? And then tell us about like just the like skeleton experience. Like the- yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, uh, so I took ayahuasca for the first time in 2016 and then I just go about life and my business. And I said that I would probably take it again, like every 10 years or so just for a check-in or if I had a major life event. And then uh, October 2020, I basically had a complete breakdown. 
Um, so I, I met a guy who was the catalyst for it, but then part of that was also meeting him. I kind of questioned a bunch of other stuff and landed on like, I have been wasting my time for like 20 years. What the fuck have I been doing? And just didn't really know how to get, I was in a funk that I just couldn't get out of. And I thought about taking ayahuasca as like to give me some answers and was at a point where I thought, actually no, like my mind is too dark at the moment and I, I don't, I'm not mm-hmm. ready to like venture into my subconscious at that point. And instead I hatched a crazy plan to quit my job and leave the country and come traveling to Costa Rica and just see where life would take me. And here you and are. And here I am, yeah. And it was nuts. Like it's, um, because it, it, and I won't go into this in detail, but like everything did just kind of pan out exactly the way that I wanted it to. And it was, it, it was, it wasn't even as though I manifested it in a way but it, it was because it was kind of big in that it wasn't like a conscious you know because and I, I do believe people manifest in different ways but it wasn't like I went and made a list and then you know was conscious and present with it and thought right this yeah. is what I want to bring into my life instead it was so all consuming of like well this is what I have to do that the universe just rippled and was like yes this is what's going to happen obviously like here's your path so uh, I ended up here um, and so Tyler the guy that um introduced us at the sweat lodge he had he'd said that he was thinking about taking bufo i think before yeah he had an ayahuasca ceremony and he was thinking about taking bufo beforehand and i had never heard of bufo uh and so i did some googling and um what it is supposed to do what for many people um it's uh it's like a rebirth and a lot of people say it's a near-death experience. I was like, oh, a near-death experience. Cool. Sign me which, up. Yeah, which I would then come to regret. And I would say up front now, I did not take Bufo as seriously as I should have done. Um, I did a lot of research, as I always do. But I was kind of like, oh, a near-death experience. That sounds kind of fun. I assume when I hear that, like in that context, that that would be like an ego death. I'm not, I'm not thinking yeah. like... So and this is the thing, a lot of the time with Bufo, like, it is the death of the ego. And I, I'm very attached to my ego in many ways. I know, it's, I'm comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with this. But you own it's it, yeah. one of the things I'm in therapy for. Um, and I was super interested in how I would feel in this life without ego and at the sweat lodge that we'd done I think about it was only about two three weeks earlier I had been I just I cried my eyes out as you yeah remember, actually yeah. let's start let's talk about that too because yeah. you had quite an experience the sweat lodge was intense like it definitely pushed me to my limit but I seem to like that lately like, <laughs> like cold exposure you know that type of stuff is something that I've gotten used to and kind of leaning into that so yeah. I was like quite quite enjoying myself to be honest but you were crying and yeah. having a totally different experience so what was going on with that yeah because I think and I think what's interesting about sweat lodges and I think it's similar to Vipassana which I'm yet to do but Vipassana is the silent meditation that you do for like eight ten hours a day and in both instances what it does is you experience such extreme physical discomfort that it forces you into your brain essentially like you're so desperate to escape the physical sensation that you just end up in your head and and kind of going potentially to places that you would normally avoid because you're just looking for a sanctuary from whatever else is happening in your body Um, and in some instances that can then evolve and you enter like a euphoric state yeah that was not my experience and I just (laughs) felt again like this was still um I was still carrying like a lot of sadness about the guy I mean I'm I'm basically low-key broken-hearted every day at the moment um and it just and I saw Sheeta Thakti, weirdly, in the sweat lodge, because yeah. normally I can't see her. And she just popped into my head. And, and she was she was so helpful. And she, she was literally pulling sadness out of me. I could see it was like strings of mozzarella. She's like pulling this stuff out. And I was just crying and crying and crying. 
and just thought I've really got to put this behind me like it's insane um and but yeah just like letting myself feel this huge amount of grief I guess and yeah so that was that was my experience of it and I think I tapped out so there's there's four rounds of it Did I tapped leave? out after three yeah oh. yeah oh yeah but like, I got a message as well of like, you've done enough. Because I wanted to leave after two and I got this voice that was, and it wasn't she's a fact, it was just this inner voice that was like, no, you need to stay. You, you're not done. Mm. And then after the third, it was like, yeah, you can stay outside. You've done what you need to do. So I just stayed and looked at the stars with that dog that I wanted to adopt. Yeah, I still think about that you. dog, I know. Um, but yeah, so, and Bufo then I, yeah, I heard about from Tyler at the Sweat Lodge, did some Googling and thought, oh, ego death, cool. Near death experience, cool. And was had some experience of plant medicine, obviously, yeah. and just thought, yeah, let's go give this a go. Just underestimated it a little bit. Really did. <laughs> and so, well, because as well, so um, I talked before about like DMT versus ayahuasca. Yeah. So like in the hierarchy, so ayahuasca is a, it's a milder form because it's diluted um, and it's a smoother experience. DMT in itself is about three minutes of this very um, extreme burst of uh, visions, but usually with no spiritual aspect. Bufo, the chemical formula was like DMT to the power of five. And I didn't, re- I, knew it was D- I knew it was a DMT derivative. I didn't really realize how strong it was going to be. And so again, you see it. Uh, the guy I saw refers to himself as a practitioner or a medicine man rather than being a shaman, which, and I think that's relatively common with Bufo. Um, and they do it during the day, um, which it became obvious to me kind of after I'd taken it why you do it during the day because I think if you came back from from a bufo experience at night time it would be quite disorientating or you wouldn't necessarily know that you'd come back whereas I came back into bright sunlight there was no doubt about where I was because with bufo I was totally lost in a way that I wasn't with ayahuasca like it was a full separation of body and consciousness it was just yeah. it was insane so yeah so well and actually it's funny and also terrible. So yeah, this, this should be a cautionary tale for people who go and take Bufo. So I went to get a, at a retreat with, again, a practitioner that I'd researched a lot and who was very highly regarded. So I felt absolutely safe from that perspective. Um, got there and I think there were 14 of us taking it. We were in like a, we were at this, um, on a, it was basically a yoga studio that was elevated. So it was amazing views over the jungle, brightly lit, gorgeous. And we were in a U shape around these big mats in the center. So with Bufo, it's a communal experience, but you each take it individually. So each of you has your own ceremony and you then, you witness each other's ceremony and then you go up when it's your turn and we, you know, you're up on these big mats. And you have the practitioner who administers the Bufo to you, but they also had six helpers who kind of cradle you through the experience because it can be quite physical um, and they're just making sure that you're safe and again you, because you certainly in my case but I think in everyone's case you end up entirely disconnected like there's no part of you that stays consciously in the room um, and so they didn't say when each of us when each of our turns were it was just to get to a point like you're next so I <laughs> this is so stupid don't do this kids so I quite needed to go for a week in the middle of someone's ceremony and you are encouraged, you're told that basically it's disrespectful to go and use the bathroom during someone's ceremony, which I absolutely understand. So this person had their ceremony and then two guys went and used the bathroom and they were in there for quite a while and I was like, I'm pretty sure they're both taking a shit and I don't want to go in there and do mm. a wee, like, you know, like, but again, so stupid. So the next ceremony happened and I thought, right, after this one, I'm going to go because I really need to go. Immediately after that person had like come back round, um, and I'll talk about like what happens in it. Um, 
the practitioner came up to me and said, right, you're next, are you ready? And I was like, well, I, I need, I didn't say it. I'm like, I need a wee, shall I say something? But I also didn't want to miss my turn because I was, yeah. I kind of wanted to get this out of the way. So I was like, uh, okay, should I say to anyone that I want to go for a wee? And in the event, I elected not to say anything. So they get, so you kneel, or I kneeled, uh, the, the service for all of us was that you, you kneeled in front of the practitioner on these mats and you have like all of the helpers um again circling you that's already sounding scary it was i found it really nurturing actually um i felt absolutely safe no i I did (laughs) and because they they come that everyone introduces themselves like it was it was because i didn't know anyone there as i said i'd gone for the day yeah um some of the people were staying at the retreat and knew one another or had become acquaintances but i still felt very it it did feel like we were part of this little family you know the dufo family seems like a lot of people like a lot of energy required. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But yeah, I I, I liked it. It made me feel safer, okay. very definitely. And I was given this sheet, and it's basically an affirmation, um, where you're saying, you know, like, why you've shown up and all of this stuff. The whole time I'm reading it, though, I'm thinking, like, oh, I really need a wee. And what if, because I'm aware that this is a fairly intense process, what if I piss myself yeah, <laughs> in the middle of the ceremony? That's where I'm assuming that you're going Which with this. I did not piss myself. Oh. Spoiler, I did not. Um, but... <laughs> It's that is not the right mindset to go to be going in with this insanely potent hallucinogenic. So, so I'm reading this and still I'm still at this point. I'm kneeling down and still thinking, should I say to someone that I really need the bathroom? (laughs) And then just not present. No, and I'd said to so again, you're asked to state your intention, and I said um, I struggle to surrender, and I think with this you kind of have to. And the guy Serge was like, yeah, it's a really you really need to surrender. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I said, like, I'm sitting in a lot of anger and sadness that I would just like to shift. I'd like it to feel less important. He's like, you're in exactly the right place. And like, again, I felt like I was. I just felt like I also really needed to use the bathroom. And then, so with it, you you smoke it from this glass pipe. I assume it's the same as smoking meth. I've never smoked meth. I've never used it. It sounds like you smoked meth. But yeah, it's this glass pipe. And you have to empty your lungs completely. And then you have to take in quite a lot because, and I've heard of this with a couple of other people, if you don't take enough bufo, you end up in this kind of interim state where of nothingness that actually then feels quite depressing because you come back and you're like, I just sat in a void for 10, 15 minutes. Purgatory. Yeah, no, exactly. And so they need to make sure that you've taken enough of it. But because I'm so distracted and all the rest of it, I missed my cue to breathe out or in, I can't remember which one it was. So my lungs filled up too quickly. So then I had to take it again. And the whole thing was just disorientating. I mean, and also I was like, oh, I just felt a bit panicked of like, this isn't going how it's supposed to go, plus I need to pee. And then, so from this point on, I have no knowledge whatsoever of happened. I have no first-hand knowledge of what happened in the room. What I felt was that it worked immediately. I don't know if it did or not. but And it felt like this rushing sensation. I think you've taken Cambo, yeah. right, which I haven't. And it sounded very similar. Yeah, so I was due that. to take it into Loom. And then when I heard about the physical side of it, I thought, I don't want to re-experience Too similar. this. Yeah, exactly. And if you're interested in Cambo, I have a whole other episode all about Cambo <laughs> with Bridget. So you can go back and listen to that one <laughs> if you want to hear about the frog poison. But back to the well, Bufo. So Bufo is also a frog poison. Right. They're different frogs. Okay, so yeah. one is from Mexico and one is from somewhere else I can't remember which which one is which Amazon somewhere yeah I think so probably Peru let's face it Um, and yeah so it was this rushing sensation that started from my toes Mm -hmm. and my head was pounding my heart was pounding and I knew that if the bufo got to my heart my heart would explode and there was no way I could survive it 
And so I had to suppress this at all costs and I was absolutely fucking terrified. But it meant that I resisted, which as I said, is the worst possible thing you can do with plant medicine. You just need to go with it, you know? Yeah. And I didn't. And I fought and I was, I remember thinking like I, I had enough consciousness at that point to be like, I wonder what this looks like in the room because I'm pretty sure I'm throwing up in the room and that I'll be struggling physically in the room. Um, because I was so desperate to get it out. And then I felt my heart explode and I felt my brain explode. And I was literally like, fuck, I just died in Costa Rica. Like I, I genuinely thought I died. There was no part of me that thought I was ever coming back. But it was strange because it, I didn't even mourn it. It was like, well, that was fucking stupid. And now like, I had this <laughs> moment of like, my friends and family are gonna be really fucked off that I came to do this random <laughs> thing in Costa Rica and ended up dead. But then I was like, but that's not my problem anymore. It was really strange. And then I had this thing, and it was incredibly painful. I had this separation of my consciousness from my body. And it was like literally the two getting ripped apart from one another. And I could, at a point I could see my consciousness and it was like this like rippling, twirling thing of like millions of tiny little black dots and at times then my body would travel through the dots and then it would come back and I would just observe the dots and it, I don't know how long that was happening but it really fucking hurt and we I should have been recording this because my face right now <laughs> is indescribable it was yeah I mean it was inc- again it was incredibly painful and I thought I died and one of my biggest fears has always been dying in pain and I have now died in pain and I was dying in pain and being scared and it was all of those things and there's a strange kind of power of like well I lived the thing that I totally, fear the most yeah. like I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do with this yeah. but that's how I felt after I, I got COVID <laughs> like I've been living my life according to this fucking virus for so fucking long and now I have it and it's in my body and now I'm over it and now I'm invincible so let's go <laughs> Unless there's another variant, which I hope there is not. No. Um, We're not going there. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that I was in that state for I don't know how long. And then suddenly I was just in this other space when it was a beach at night. And I was, I could feel I was just a molecule of the landscape. But I remember thinking, oh, well, yeah, you know, I'm dead. And this is, this is how things are going to be. And well, it makes sense that I'm spending eternity on the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, it that's what I love best. And again, I don't know how long I was there for. Um, in in real life, I was out for about twelve minutes. Okay. Um, then I went again, like without. I don't know how the transition happened, but then I was in, and a lot of people experience this with Bufo. You experience the, les- the celestial blackness. For some people, they experience the, cel- the celestial whiteness. So for me, it was just this like black with many many stars, and I was the universe, and the universe was me. But what I find so funny, and that I need to talk to my therapist about soon, actually, I still haven't, is that I went there for this ego death. But actually, what, I, my, what my experience of it was that I realised I could communicate with all of these other entities. And I don't remember any of the conversations that I had, but I remember being connected to millions of things at a time, whether it was people, planets, I have no idea, and being in conversation with them. And having this huge sense of relief that, oh, well, I mean, I'm very much still me and I can still communicate the essence of me to all this other stuff. So maybe this isn't going to be so terrible. And I find it funny because, again, that's for me, that's the ultimate expression of my ego of being like, oh, well, I'm still me and I can carry on being me in perpetuity. And also I can carry on like being like I can 
I don't know, continue imposing me on many other things and creatures. <laughs> um, and again, I don't know how long I was in that state, but I firmly believe that I was in that dimension for centuries. And it's something that I find quite strange. Yeah. Because again, real world, it's 10, 15 minutes, but I genuinely believe, and I, I remember very little about any of it, but I feel like I was there for a very, very long time. That explains your 1,500 lifetimes. <laughs> this is a whole other thing. This is, no, this is definitely just still this one, I think. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, so I, and then suddenly I was just in this bright light and I could see the practitioner there and I could see three of the helpers. And they, I mean, taking Bufo actually is worth it just for this, because when you come round, they say all of the most beautiful life-affirming shit to you. Like, <laughs> you're beautiful, thank, thanks so much for being here, you're amazing, you're incredible. Like, oh, yeah, if I could just have this without the medicine, this would be yeah. fucking great, thanks. You could probably do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I probably could, actually. Um, and, yeah, so and what I did realise as well that was kind of strange was I'd kept feeling, it was like I went back. And then I realised that I'd had that same sensation many times mm. and realised that, oh, I'd been back, but like my consciousness hadn't quite caught up with my body yet. And that where it, I was like, oh, they've said this before, but I'm only just back. Oh, they said this before, but I'm only just back. And then I realised, no, I've been back for a while, but I just haven't been able to get back into time. It was so strange. Wow. And, and then this, this, for me, is where it gets weird, actually. So um, I could tell like as soon as I came round that... This had not been like the other. So I'd witnessed seven ceremonies before mine, I think, six or seven. And just looking around the room, people were looking at me like, what the fuck? And I was like, oh. And I, I had an inkling anyway, because I knew that I would have struggled a lot because that's how I had experienced it. And Serge, the practitioner, said to me like, yeah, you put up a fight. <laughs> like, okay, he's like, surrender is the most important thing. All this ego bullshit, you've got to leave it behind. I was like, okay. And another one of the helpers said to me, like, you've done, you did some really deep work there. I'm like, okay. And I just didn't, because again, I have no, I had no idea what happened in the room. You can have it recorded. And I remember thinking, like, what kind of an asshole? Like, you've got to be, it's like a next level narcissism to want to see this. And then I thought, actually, it's kind of strange because this thing happened. And I wasn't a witness to it. And again, I didn't know anyone in the room well. If I'd been there with a friend, if, if we'd been there, I'd be like, oh, tell me everything that happened. Like yeah. five or six times over, please explain to me every second that happened. Start to finish. And also, and I was the same, because you're witnessing ceremonies of people you don't know, you're not that invested yeah. in it. And so, so I went back, I went down on this mat. And honestly, the first thing I thought about was, Right, does it does it still bother me that this guy isn't in love with me? And it was like, yes, yes, it does. I was like, Fuck, what's the fucking point of this? I just died for no reason. <laughs> and so again, again, one of my first emotions was like, I fucked this up, um, and I felt kind of disappointed in myself. And then I felt very sad about that, and then just like, well, and I had a good cry for about five minutes. But again, they are amazing, and someone came and sat with me, and they held me because that's what I wanted, and you know, like it's all very much tailored to what it is that you need when you come out and they stay for as long as you need like it, it was amazing actually anyway at a point this one other lady she, she'd been first to go with the ceremonies she came over uh, and i will call her dolores that's not her real name but i'll call her dolores we're protecting her <laughs> 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 she hears this <laughs> who knows and she was lovely and she came over and she, she gave me a banana um and she's like how are you feeling 
by then I had a really sore throat and it was the kind of sore throat if you've been out in a club and you've been yelling all night it was like that but I knew I'd only been out for like 10 minutes I was like this is weird and I said did I do a lot of shouting because I'd seen a couple of people when they'd first gone under they would kind of they'd just be like ah or whatever and I thought did I just do that and I said to you know did I shout she's like sorry if you have headphones (laughs) (laughs) and she said ah probably closer to a scream I'm like okay and I said what so I feel like I did it a lot she said yeah I mean basically straight from the start you started screaming and then there was a little break and then you started up again because again like most people so there was there were three main reactions actually to Buffo that I saw none of which were like mine one was people who had a very physical experience so kind of would like their eyes would roll back in their head and they kind of crawl around a little bit and again the the helpers are all there just to kind of keep you straight on the mat and get your head pointing in the right direction and all this stuff um and making sure you don't choke or anything you know your time no because all of this stuff right yeah Um, because you're vulnerable and so yeah the people who are kind of like eyes rolling back but mainly weren't vocal people who were vocal when they first took it and again made the noise that i won't remake yeah. um and Rewind then you, you might hear them you might hear them again like once before the end of their ceremony but really you know that was the extent of it and then the, the third category was interesting actually where they kind of fell back and had no real reaction other than having these like really contented smiles on their faces the entire time this is the opposite of my experience um but these really contented smiles but all of them i think there were four of them in total all of them in about the last three minutes before they came back round, they all just started sobbing um, it was really interesting to watch. Again, so you had these three main reactions. That's fucked. These were not boxes that I fitted into. And so, <laughs> so I'm doing the screaming, apparently. And then she said, and you were moving around. A thrasher. Yeah. And again, like, bear in mind, there's six people there. And they're very gentle, but still, there are six of them. Yeah. And so I witnessed one other lady after me. And she got about 45 degrees around the mat. And she was putting up, like, a decent fight. I, and again, I I'd never saw this, but I was told and I also knew like where I woke up versus where I'd gone down. I went 270 degrees around the mat. And apparently I did like one in a burst of 180 of just like thrashing around uncontrollably. And then I got like another, what, 90 degrees around at a later point. And that's fucking terrifying I'm like me. having full visions of the exorcist. Because <laughs> well, no, I, said, I said to her, it sounds like an exorcism. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, that's probably not far off. And it's very weird to me that, A, I had such a different um, experience to other people. Yeah. But B, the, like, because, again, the point of Bufo is it's, it's who you really are when no one's watching, you know? And it turns out when no one's watching, I'm basically a banshee. And, you know, <laughs> everyone said, like, you must have got rid of so much anger. Yeah. And anger's one of the things that I've been working with since. Because I'm not comfortable with anger as an emotion at all. I just don't think it's productive and I don't see a way to use it productively and to not hurt people and so I I suppress it it turns out to an extent that I hadn't quite recognized where yeah they were just like there's you have so much unexpressed rage I'm like fuck and it was funny because I didn't I didn't feel like it wasn't like I came around and thought oh I'm less angry but after about 48 hours when I'd stopped freaking the fuck out I realised there was the absence of something. And it was really strange because it wasn't something that I could have put a name to or that I knew what it was, but it had gone. And again, it's not like I'm suddenly some Zen super being, 
But it definitely cleared I some. <laughs> I know. <laughs> really not. It definitely cleared some stuff. Um, but yeah, it's part of me is really disappointed that I can't ever see it. But also, I think I'm in a way grateful that I never have to witness me being like that because I think I would find it profoundly uncomfortable. But equally, I have to acknowledge that that is a part of who I am and it's not really a good idea to close yourself off to who you are so it's just that kind of acceptance of okay apparently this lives in me which I guess then does lead into some of the other stuff that I then did in Tulum yeah and the 1500 lifetimes yeah you had quite (laughs) the exploration so give us the summary of what you experienced during your time in Tulum so I had a bunch of different therapies uh so I did some um I had some light language therapy I did some breathwork therapy I did some biomagnetic uh and I did various different kinds of energy therapy Plus, I already I have a Theta healer, and she is based in Tulum. It's one of the reasons that I went. Obviously, you were there too, um, and I did some sessions with her, um, and I did some embodiment work as well, like some some female embodiment work. And I get so the the highlights or the takeaways from that. Again, I I went in kind of saying, look, I know I'm dealing with anger and grief. I have a really blocked throat chakra, and I've known that actually for a long time, but I haven't really explored it in any depth and I did a lot of work with that and a lot of release um with the light language lady who was just extraordinary um I again like the voice in my head um was like you need to scream I was like I really don't want to I don't want to and I knew I was going to hear the noise that I would have made whilst taking Bufo I was like I don't really want to experience this but it was like you've just got to do it you've got to do it and honestly it was this unearthly sound it was uh, again, I, I was going to say it's awful. But again, it's part of me. But it was like something I was like, I cannot believe that lives in me, but at least it's coming out. Yeah. And then like, I was like, right, okay, I'm done. And the voice was like, no, you've got to go again. Like, oh, I was like, this lady has neighbours. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Call and the then it, it was like, you've got to go a third time, but that's going to be the last time. And, and I did. And then I just felt this overwhelming gratitude towards her. And she'd said to me, um, if at any point I wanted to say anything or do anything, not to worry about what she was doing, that I could, I could say or do whatever I wanted at any time, that this was part of the process. And I just grabbed her hand and I was like, thank you so much. And I said, I find that so incredibly difficult, but I felt, again, I'm getting emotional. I found it, you know, I felt so safe to do it. And, you know, thank you. And I mean, it was weird because it was, it's not any easier to confront, um, but it's, I kind of think that my anger and I have to make friends or something, like yeah. I need to learn to, to coexist with it. Well, that's pretty much it for anybody, right? Like we're looking for those parts of us that we've been suppressing and you yeah. have to reconcile that in order to be like your whole self. Yeah. So I think that's really important. And there should be more opportunities to scream. Like I had, I did a bunch of ceremonies in Tulum as well. And most of them had a screaming aspect and like not intentionally like, well, actually some of them, they did encourage you. Like, and it was, I did like a, also a female embodiment, like a ceremony. And there was a lot of like screaming and expressing yourself. But I also did like a somatic healing ceremony where people were just they were having energy. We had four or five healers working on the group. Yeah. Body work, Reiki, all of it. And people were releasing all kinds of crazy sounds, sobbing. Yeah. And it's just like there's not enough space for people to explore that and release that because it is truly yeah. trapped in the body. And I just think there's so many amazing modalities and opportunities if you're looking for it to explore that and release that and yeah. tap into that side of yourself. 
Well, in some cultures, they, they have like these screaming ceremonies where you just go out into the middle of the jungle or whatever and you'll just let it all out. And I'm like, oh, that would be amazing. Because I'm still, I'm still super suppressed now. Like, I can't, I can't scream into a pillow and stuff. Like, I, I still feel really just, like, uncomfortable doing it. And that's, you know, that's part of the work I'm going to carry on doing. But it's not as though I did that and now I'm suddenly this whole new person that has none of the same hang-ups. Well, no, it's a process. <laughs> it's a never-ending journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I have some questions for you. We're going to have to wrap up yep. pretty quickly because we are going surfing. <laughs> Sorry this is important about stuff. It. We're going to yeah. be in our bodies. Yeah, truly. Like the, I shared <laughs> yesterday on social media, but it's like the one time in my life when I cannot access my phone. I'm not thinking about my phone. I'm just fully present. You have yeah. to be connected to nature. If you lose yourself for a minute, you're going to probably get hurt. She's going to smack you around. <laughs> you learn really quickly, as I did when I concussed myself, daydreaming in the water. Um, but yeah, it is very therapeutic and so amazing in many ways. But so we're just going to do some rapid fire. I've never done this before, but I just thought of it. And I think it's exactly what we need right oh, now. God. Just a bit of rapid fire questions, Q&A here. Some based on the things that you've said and some not. Mm-hmm. So, will you do ayahuasca again? Yes. Would you do bufo again? Yes. Oh, I'm surprised by that. Yeah, part of me... Part I feel like me, you said no when it was closer to the experience. Uh, so, I'm never going to say never about it. Yeah. So, so, I think... Never say never. <laughs> so beautiful. Justin Bieber. <laughs> Doing it for Canada. Represent. <laughs> um, yeah, I... Part of me would be interested to see... If it was different another time. There's part of me that thinks, oh my God, I never want to do that again. And part of me that thinks I don't want to be scared of that for the rest yeah. of my life. So I think I would. I'm certainly not making any plans to, but it's it's not a definite no. Okay, fair. So what's next for you? Is there a plant medicine that you haven't done yet that you want to explore? So San Pedro I'm interested in, um, which in theory is like, it's more of a euphoric experience. Yes. Um, I'm interested in it. I don't know if I'll do it. Because I do also think there is... We're not really... These plant medicines are not all designed to work together. It's just because we have greater opportunities to travel the planet and try all this different stuff, right. we have the opportunity to do it. Don't necessarily need to do every single thing. Well, and they, you know, again, they're safe because they've been practiced by individual groups and tribes for thousands of years, but they haven't been used in conjunction for very long. And part of me is, I'm again, as well as the whole community versus individual experience, part of me is thinking, should I really be cross-pollinating to the extent that I am? But I'm interested in San Pedro, definitely. I Cambo does not excite me in any way, shape, or form. Each of their own. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that um, oh. I want to do? Peyote. I mean, it's it's also like a cactus and part of that. What is it? Mescaline family. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that's kind of where I want to start. Actually, I met a really cool healer who oh, really? does like overnight ceremonies, and he just just the way he described it to me was like unbelievable and he said it was a great kind of like stepping stone towards um some of the other like prior yeah. to ayahuasca and the more intense stuff so yeah, yeah, that's yeah. definitely something that i'm interested in yeah. um cambo i don't know what else is there what were you just gonna say uh, oh so because i haven't taken mushrooms since i was a kid oh um, yeah i don't mean like you know since i was a teenager yeah. um, and i think i'm definitely interested in taking mushrooms or lsd or you know like something just that's that's pure psychedelic without the embedded spiritual yeah. element of it or the medicine element of it. You can still treat it as medicine, but because I think you can still have a spiritual experience, but I'm kind of interested to see 
almost hallucinating for its own sake. Yeah. Yeah, I have anyone who knows me knows I, I'm obsessed with mushrooms, like in a microdosing capacity, and I've never actually properly tripped on mushrooms. And I would like to both explore it on my own and also do it in like more of a ceremonial yeah. setting with like some guidance. I feel both are really important and definitely on the radar for me as well. Um, okay. What else did I want to ask? I wrote it down really squiggly so that, you could, <laughs> so that you couldn't read it, and now I can't read it. Okay, no, but this is a question that I've been getting a lot of. So what? how do you describe or how comfortable do you feel as a woman traveling alone? I know that you mentioned that you, were, you got more comfortable as you did it, mm-hmm. but what are your feelings on it, and like, what advice would you give someone who wants to do it but is scared? Yeah, so I think there's some countries that are definitely safer than others, um, and... There are some that are just more geared towards female travellers. So I think, you know, through most of uh, Asia, you'll be fine. Uh, through most of Central America, I think, actually. If North America, obviously, you're fine. Europe, you know, you're okay. Um, but I think it's... I don't drink a huge amount. Um, I drink even less when I'm travelling on my own, and that's a personal choice. You know, I, I wish we lived in a world where women could go out, get wasted if they want to, and not have any fear for their safety, but we don't live in that world, sadly. So, yeah, I don't drink, and I don't tend to go to bars anyway, just because, again, it's just not my vibe. No judgment of anyone that does. But I think that stuff is probably harder. Uh, I think, as well, that most people are lovely and helpful i think one of the things that can be difficult as a woman is we find we can find it hard to say no we want to be liked or the rest of it you've got to get pretty comfortable with telling people to just fuck the fuck off if they're in your space in a way that you don't enjoy and then just you know just rolling with that and i think that's that's one of the things that can be um difficult when you again when you first start out because as well you don't want to antagonize anyone or the rest of it but at the same time you really have to make sure that you're owning the space that you're in um, and yeah, I mean, the obvious things as well, you know, check the reviews of the places you're going to. There's so much information out there now. Do that, your research. Yeah, do research. There's no reason for you to get stuck somewhere super sketchy. But again, like, maybe do it by increments. Like, the first time I travelled in inverted commas on my own, a friend of mine got married in Mexico. Uh, this is like way back in 2009. And so I decided to stay on for another week. And I just went and stayed in all-inclusive up the road by myself. But it was still like okay, this is the first step. And then yeah. I started to do more and more and more. And now, I mean, <laughs> when I was in Mexico recently, I think I told you weren't one of the people that I spoke to, but I had an issue where I took a wrong turning and I ended up like down this dirt road with no lights. But luckily I had full That's cell phone reception. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's just... this, no, this is in Zipolito, oh. which is even like, it was even like, it was the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. And no lights, no nothing, yeah. no roads other than the dirt road I was on and ended up just calling a friend to be like, well, at least someone knows where I am. But I did have full cell phone reception. Again, going places with full cell phone reception, that will definitely help you as a woman on your own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think the vast majority of people are super helpful and super nice. And you, you meet people wherever you go. Yeah, and that's the coolest thing. And I think yeah. what you said about... Just having clear boundaries and step like making sure that you're setting boundaries and speaking up for yourself is really important. Um, that kind of leads me into the next one, mm-hmm. which is what is one piece of advice you would give someone who wants to learn how to listen to their intuition? 
Because you are very in tune with yourself and your intuition, and that's a question <laughs> that I hear often. So how do you know how to do that? It's, I think it is, it's really hard to do um, because, and it's, this, it's the same, I think, it's the same advice as I'd give around your subconscious is that the hardest part is the letting go. It's, you will, uh, and I do it, I'm, I do live in my head, but what I have seen demonstrably proven, and I'm an evidence-based kind of person, I've seen time and again that when I listen to my intuition or, or when, I, when I don't think about anything at all, like the answers will come. Yes. It's funny that my, my gene key says this as well. That, Your what? Uh, my gene key. What is that? Oh, we can do a whole podcast about gene keys. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I have no idea what she's talking about, guys. Anyone that does know, um, we can Google gene keys. So, it, And it just it shows like elements of your personality. Oh, it's it's okay. complementary to human design. Yes, okay. Um, and mine specifically for me says that all of the answers come to me but I'm not thinking about them, but that I don't trust and believe in that and that and I overthink stuff as a result. So my hard lesson really at the moment is trying to surrender more and again, Lufo has been part of that, all of this journey yeah. has been part of that. It but yeah, to part of it is you need to work out as well to an extent you may well have more than one inner voice and working out what each of those voices are. Like some of it will be your body, some of it will be your brain, some of it will be Probably, your gut. Yeah. You know, and again, this will Getting vary from person to person. Yeah, yeah. So, so understand what's happening. Some of it will be your ego, some of it will be insecurities that, you know, are not helping or serving you. Yeah. So you need to be able to make friends with yourself, work out the various components of what is going on yes. in, within yourself, brain and body, and then start honing in on the bits that give you the kindest and most compassionate answers and then go from there oh that's good advice I agree I think that there's different messaging happening between our head our heart you know fear anxiety and just getting curious about them and figuring out what's coming from where and why and then leaning into what feels right and yeah. true for you and I, again, like it's it's all part of this as well. Like, don't expect that overnight you're suddenly going to become like some enlightened super being. Like, for everyone, it's a journey. There's there's a handful of people in the world who are super zen and they've been doing it for a lifetime. Yeah. So it is. It's just just do it by increments. Don't expect that suddenly overnight you're going to be this all powerful being. But you can get to being an all powerful being. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, just baby steps every day in the right direction. I don't think that total enlightenment even exists. So I was having this conversation <laughs> with someone yesterday and. It was as if they wanted to achieve complete and on a complete awakening, and I just think there's always new levels yeah. to be unlocked. So, well, because every day is different anyway. You know, it's that you never know what's going to come along. I think if you're someone who's, you know, they're on a in a monastery up a hill somewhere and they're contemplating one thing all day for 20 years and yeah maybe but if you're existing in real life in the real world yeah. yeah there's so many other factors that are going to come into play every day and you'll be exposed to so much new stuff every day yeah. and that's you just have to keep up with it somehow <laughs> yeah another question I wanted to ask you because people may be wondering they mm -hmm. may also be assuming that you are in you work within this spiritual <laughs> or personal development world because a lot of people yeah. who are this interested and invested in this either are or people that I associate with tend to be but what do you do for work? <laughs> so uh, I worked for an investment bank for nearly 20 years uh, that is the job that I gave up to come out here uh, and then and this is funny like again coming back to surrender so I 
I had been unemployed for three days in total since I graduated back in 97. And I took a decision to be consciously unemployed, like that I just, I had done enough and I needed a rest. And it took a long time for me to get comfortable with that because I'm terrified of being out of work for complex reasons to do with my childhood, all of which I've examined in detail. But it was really difficult for me to, um, again, like boo-hoo, oh no, I'm not going to work. But it, it had a lot of, it was complex for me um, to, to deal with that and to know that I wasn't going to be earning a living. Again, like the universe worked it out for me and I'm feeling no pain. But all of which to say, so I, I had this conscious decision, I'm, I'm not going to think about work. And I decided I would come out here, I would sit on the beach, and at some point I would either panic because I was running out of money and that would force a decision, or I would realise what it was that I wanted to do. But I deliberately wasn't going to think about it, I was putting no pressure on myself. And after I'd been, <laughs> I'd been here a grand total of two days, I got a phone call from someone who was like, I have a job for you. And I was like, no, fuck off, like I'm not, I'm deliberately not working, I can't work until March anyway for reasons and long story short uh, I basically got offered a job opportunity that I couldn't refuse yeah. so uh, I'm gonna go and start working for a blockchain company in about two weeks time but I mean again what's been incredible about that is I knew that I wanted to carry on traveling and I knew that work was not gonna be my life and it never has been um, and I had very honest conversations with them around Look, I you know I've done my time um, and they've been I mean I'm yet to start but they've been over 100% supportive and I can carry on traveling the work is remote and my CEO is like yeah you know we support you and we're going to make this work for all of us that's so, pretty cool I mean that's a pretty it just goes to show yeah. that you don't have to settle for status quo you don't have yeah. to play by the rules if you get clear on what you want and yeah. then create the space no, exactly. and then trust yeah. you will attract that's actually so... It is I mean, the most insane thing of my entire lifetime because it's the most that I've surrendered, the most that I've trusted, yeah. and it all just worked out. And then I'm in this awkward balance at the moment where I'm like, well, this is clearly a sign that I should just trust. Yes. But that is somewhat terrifying. It's like I'm on the precipice of that and being like, I could just stop worrying about all of this bullshit yes. because life is just going to happen. Oh, yeah. But then it's like, but then I lose all control. And I... So, again, like, it's a balance, but it... Yeah. I, as I said before, like I'm evidence-based. What I've seen is the one time that I've surrendered the most in my lifetime, it came up yeah. with the most incredible reward. And now I'm in this sort of funny balance of, okay, how much, what's, because the logical conclusion is, right, screw it, I'm gonna surrender yeah. everything, but I can't quite get there yet. And I still, you know, I think I'm a good planner. I'm a good thinker. Yeah. Um, That's so cute yeah. that you think you have control. <laughs> I really, Control I really is an do. Illusion. And it's, but Certainty that, is an illusion, and this is just proof that yeah. And if you let go of the grasp that we have on everything, there's something else bigger and better waiting for you. Yeah, and that that's definitely the journey that I'm on. But I just, I'm again, it's, it's all bound up in the ego stuff and all of it. Yes, it's like right, but but because I, I kind of think, oh well, if I know that plus. I add like my unique powers, and yeah. we didn't even get to my fifteen hundred lifetimes. A story well, for another that'll day. That'll have to be a sequel. <laughs> Last thing I want to ask you, and I think yeah. I already know the answer to this. What's your mantra right now? Let go. <laughs> Let that shit go. Surrender. Surrender has been mine for like since the beginning of the pandemic. I read the Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer, and that's literally the story of his life, and basically exactly that: how he made a conscious decision to trust life and the universe, and just take things as they came and go with the flow. And that story is fascinating, and it was really inspiring to me, and it just showed me that 
basically exactly what you explained. Also, when I learned the concept of radical acceptance in yeah. DBT, I was like, oh, <laughs> what the hell? Like, I actually, none of this is my responsibility. I don't have to worry about any of this. Everything's yeah. going to happen the way it's going to happen. And I'm going to be fine regardless. So let's not waste the energy. Like, huge weight lifted off my shoulders. So I will leave you guys with that <laughs> concept. Google it if you want. There's so much good information about radical acceptance. Um... And yes, thank you for sharing all of your experiences with us. <laughs> that was super interesting. Um, where can people find you if they have questions? I don't know if you're even <laughs> down for that. But. Sure. Uh, so I'm Annie Mary Lucy Ducky on Instagram. That is probably the easiest place. I will take that in the call notes. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on this journey. I hope this was enlightening and interesting for you guys to listen to. Give us a review and a follow and all the other stuff um, <laughs> that you're supposed to do. And we will 